start the music. We take the loop. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Injection, fellas. This is more than therapy podcast. More than therapy. This is more than therapy. More than therapy podcast. This is more than therapy. More than therapy podcast. This is more than therapy podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Modern Therapy Podcast. Today's guest is Miss Sandy Johnson. In her own words, as someone who was caught in a cycle of abuse with someone who had an ICE addiction, who lost the plot at one point and things became life-threatening for herself and for her children. She is no stranger to this topic. The three things that she advocated for on her podcast are for women put their safety, their sanity, and their well-being first by tapping into the right support to remind them that everything can be figure outable, no matter how complex the challenges are that they are going through. Sandy's going to tell us a story about perseverance, about pain, and about loving yourself more and getting through that pain. Sandy Johnson's today's guest on the More Than Therapy podcast. Ms. Sandy, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here today on the More Than Therapy podcast. And thank you for sharing your very painful, but very empowering story. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really happy to be here and I'm in a good place in my life again now. And uh, when I tell you my story, you might think, Gosh, you sound like a basket case, really. <laughs> Did you do all of those things? Because um, when I even reflect back and I look at what a complete and total mess my life got to when I was in an abusive relationship, um, I just, it's unrecognizable to me today as I sit here and I have this conversation with you. I've actually lost your sound. It's noted <laughs> that it. many people <laughs> who have that been embodied in abuse find it difficult to come out on the other side. That sometimes they find fault in themselves and feel shame in themselves because they didn't get out sooner, you know, because maybe financial difficulties or maybe because they thought that they could change that person or that their love would be strong enough to have that person heal from whatever they're going through regarding the abuse that they're giving out. Your story is very similar to this from what I understand. Yeah, you've got a, a really great understanding of 
what it's like for women who are caught in that cycle of abuse. And, you know, having said that about women being caught in the cycle of abuse, it's not something that happens exclusively in relationships to women. Um, so we talk about gender-based violence and gender-based violence is largely talking about what happens to women in um, relationships, but it can happen no matter what the gender equation is in your relationship. So you could be talking about um, an LGBTQIA plus relationship that is abusive. So I tend to look at like abuse as being um, a pretty full-on word. When we talk about abuse, it sort of equates to violence and most people will look at it and think, okay, so, you know, he's hitting her. That's clearly something that is a violent behaviour. And so we can distinguish that and say, yeah, very clearly that that is a form of abuse. But when it comes to these other types of abuse like coercive control or gaslighting where the person is disempowering the other person in the relationship. They're undermining them. They're taking away their confidence. They're taking away whatever it is that they've got control of in their life to get their life going in an independent direction. That's all being stripped away from them. And those were the types of things that happened to me. So if it's okay, I'll just share with you what happened to me so that you've got a bit of a context to know why I'm here today talking to you about this topic. So I'm somebody who, I guess, fell from the frying pan into the fire. So I got married and the um, my then husband he was he was a charismatic person and he was a bit like Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. So there were two very distinct sides to him. On one hand, he was really charming, really lovely, very generous, and then on, he would flip and he would become very abusive, verbally abusive and um, very angry and quite volatile. Now, there was no physical abuse there. So when I was in that marriage, I could never actually identify with that as being abuse. And so I just stayed in that relationship, thought to myself, that I had to turn the other cheek, that um, really it was I needed to let my husband um, just have his his ups and his downs and, um, and, you know, I just needed to learn to stand by him through thick and thin and support him. And um, I definitely wasn't thinking about looking after myself and um and that then led to some problems for me because i ended up um having anxiety attacks on a daily basis um and anyone who's experienced an anxiety attack will know how how horrible they are they're truly terrible because they you don't know when they're going to hit you next and when they do in those moments that you're having that anxiety attack you actually feel as though you're physically your body's shutting down on you and you feel like oh, oh my god this is it I'm you know I don't think I'm going to live I'm going to die um and that was happening to me every single day for about a year 
Um, so the relationship became really untenable for me and I projected forward and I thought to myself, am I going to be able to sustain living in this relationship with this person, with the way that they are with their, you know, mood swings um, for, say, another 10 years? And, you know, I just was honest with myself and I said, no, I, I can't do that. I'm already crumbling and falling apart. You know, this is just going to break me if I stay in this relationship. We did try some counselling. It didn't go anywhere. So I went through a very sort of protracted divorce with um, my then husband. And when I started dating again, which I can now look back and say, wow, I was so not ready to start dating. But I, when I did start dating again, I met somebody who again was like this completely charismatic guy. And um, he was just so besotted with me and he would say, you know, he would say to me, you're just, you know, you're so beautiful. I don't know how anybody could have let you go. And I didn't see that as being any kind of um, anything, you know, weird or anything that I should be concerned about. Um, but another thing happened because that, you know, did later appear to be a real red flag in that relationship. So um, he actually followed me and another person who I was having, um, was seeing before I saw started seeing this other guy and I needed to have that conversation with this guy and let him know that I'd met somebody um, because that other relationship we talked about, it was not going to... It, you know, become anything serious. And so um, I'm a, a one a one guy at a time kind of person. That's that's just me. Um, I like having a monogamous relationship. And so um, as I was having this talk to this other guy, the new guy that I'd met um, owned up later when I saw him, you know, later on, he I said to him, gee, I just felt something really weird while I was... Um, talking to this guy I really felt like I was being watched and he owned up to me and he was like really chuffed he was really like you know proud of me saying you're so smart that you would pick up on that you know that I was um I was watching you and I didn't see the danger and um, now I can look back and I, I understand that when you go into a new relationship, you're kind of looking at the world, you're looking at the other person through the eyes of infatuation. You're looking at them through these rose-coloured glasses and that makes everything look very sweet, um, very innocent, and you tend to see the good in that person. You see their potential and you are very, you know, like easily just turn a blind eye to anything that might be an indicator, might be that little red flag there that you should be paying attention to. But because of those rose-coloured glasses, it's really easy to dismiss those things and not see that there's a danger sign there for the future. So 
that's what happened. I fell into this relationship. It, this person that I fell into a relationship with, I didn't know at that time. He, what it was a, yeah, bombing is a huge red flag. You're absolutely, absolutely right. It is. And um, and he told me those things like, um, you know, I, you know, you're so beautiful. The, the jealousy was there from the get-go too. So um, jealousy is another one of those really big red flags. And I I could see that it wasn't it wasn't a normal, you know, when you, what is a normal level of jealousy? Jealousy is something to be really cautious with because um, jealousy is about ownership and nobody should own you. Nobody should have that kind of a hold on you and what you do. The, the danger sign really is, is if you're feeling like you're losing control to this other person, um, then it's time to take heed and I didn't I didn't pay any attention to those warning signs because I was so desperate to fall into a relationship with somebody that would be this you know like happily ever after um and I thought that that's what it would be, but he was such a duplicit person. There were two, he was two people. There was the there was the him that I was seeing and then there was the other him that was either playing around on me or using drugs. And I knew that he was using drugs recre recreationally to begin with, um, and that's all I thought it was. So... I didn't see, again, the danger in that. But um, we actually, that relationship kept going and I ended up having a child to that person. Um, and it was after I'd had my first child with him that one day I found that um, I was just cleaning up a bookshelf and I stumbled on this bag full of white powder and I absolutely you know flipped out <laughs> because I, I just couldn't believe that I was stumbling across across like what would have been um you know a bag of drugs worth a lot of money and it was a serious thing we weren't just talking about something that was recreational and that was the first indicator that I had that my partner, apart from his ups and his downs, which there was a, a definite pattern with um, with his ups and downs, and there were certain telltale signs like um, like an odor that he'd have, or you know he'd be up for days on end. Um, he'd be highly sexed. At, you know, during those times, um, you'd have a really insatiable appetite for sex. And then um, and then after that, he'd come crashing down and he, he, he just wouldn't function at all. So um, the ups and downs, he would just lie his way through those ups and downs to try to make me believe that he didn't have a problem. Maybe, you know, the reason he was down is because he had the flu or, you know, he was sick. So um, 
so I stayed in that cycle for quite a long time. And when I went into that relationship, I was in a fairly strong place uh, financially where I was financially independent and standing up on my own two feet. I had a, a really good network of um, friends and family around me. And the more that I, the more that time had passed that I was in this roller coaster of a relationship, the less support I had around me, the less contact I had with my friends, um, the less contact I had with my family. It was it was also really hard to socialise and um, because of his extreme jealousy and his, his very, um, oh, I'm just trying to think of the right word with the type of behaviour, but he, he, he was just over the top. He was really, really over the top and it was hard for people to be around him. And so this is what happens to many, many women that they end up like me becoming more and more isolated and financially disempowered and that's what happened to me and I did not know at that time but he had taken control of the finances and um and I lost everything I lost all financial security in that relationship I tried many many times to get him to seek help um so I learned after umpteen times of him telling me that's it I'm done with drugs no more I promise you I promise you that's it I'm never going to use drugs again um and then within days you know he'd be back to the same behaviors and um and anyway that he did go into rehab more than once he went into rehab twice so I was trying to go through this process of trying to support him, you know, trying to be there for him as the woman who loved him to help him to get his life back on track. But in supporting him, who was supporting you? Well, no one, no one. So um, so I was very, very isolated and just, I think, putting on a facade you know, when people say to you, so so how are you? And you you have this automatic response and you say, I'm fine. And fine means absolutely nothing. What, you know, there's a, an acronym for fine, which I'm going to keep this clean, okay? So it's basically it's effed up, insecure, neurotic and emotional. And that was me. I, I truly was fine. I was an absolute mess. So but I couldn't tell people about that because not a lot of people would understand what I was going through and not a lot of people would have been equipped to, to help me. So, um, so what did I do? I internalised a whole lot of stuff. But what happened um, eventually, I, you know, more and more I sort of started to use my voice telling a select few people about what was going on. Um, I couldn't talk to my family about it um, because there'd be too many judgments being made and they weren't necessarily 
uh, equipped to be able to help me and support me. It was too close. My problems then would become their problems. And so you, you end up getting thrown in the too hard basket for people. And that's where I needed to learn to discern, I suppose. You need to learn who you can talk to. And I had, um, so I had three children in the end with this person on this roller coaster that I was on. And um, there was a mother at the children's childcare centre and she happened to be a police officer. And I was chatting with her and she could say, she could see how stressed out I was all of the time and I just confided in her about some of the things that had been going on in my home and she said to me she said this is abuse you are going through domestic abuse and you seriously need to get help and support from the police because by that time I'd separated from him but it was what I call a revolving door relationship. So what I mean by that is that um, he would wear me down to a point where I was so worn out, he would use the kids to manipulate um, manipulate me to let him get his foot back in the door again. He'd get his foot back in the door again and he'd be making all the same promises to me that he would never use drugs again, that, you know, he was going to get his life on track and this is it. He's going to be, you know, a good husband to me, good father to his children. And no sooner did I let him back in the door than within days he'd be back to the same lifestyle choices that um, he was obviously not in control of. Um, it was an addiction and it took it took me going to Narcotics Anonymous um, and going to Al-Anon, which is a support group for um, drug-addicted family members. And that was perhaps, you know, like that's that was the beginning of me having my eyes opened about addiction. Up until that point, I was kind of deluding myself, thinking, you know, if he promises me that he can, you know, stop taking drugs um, and he promises me that he, all he needs is me to be that support person to him to help him to stop taking drugs, that I should just believe that and give him that opportunity um, to actually be successful with it this time round. But what I learned is that I actually wasn't, equipped I was not I didn't have the right skill set the right experience to be able to support him with his addiction so my primary role really was having the responsibility of providing my children with security and a, a safe and secure home and that was not negotiable and and it wasn't um it wasn't something I could sustain with him in the picture um because there was lots of things that were happening which young children shouldn't be exposed to so um, anyway, I eventually took up the advice of this female police officer and I tell you, I was absolutely 
just so scared to take any action because it was kind of like I was trying to stay a step ahead of him because by this time he was stalking me heavily. He was, he had spyware on my um, on my phone. He had uh, hacked into all of my accounts. He'd been hacking into my bank account and taking money and I just had no control over anything. So he would play games with me and um, he would say, you know, I'm, I'll meet the kids um, at the park and then when he saw that I'd left the house, he changed his mind and said, I'm not meeting you until I'm, you know, like your home. He just always knew exactly where I was and I just couldn't shake him. I couldn't shake him to save myself. It just was absolutely impossible for me to put a safe boundary around myself, a safe boundary around my children and to give him, I guess, some a line in the sand. He just would not accept that or all he wanted was to keep uh, perpetuating the cycle of abuse. So I got the courage up and I was an absolute nervous wreck when I went to the court and applied for the, I think you call it a restraining order. Um, we call it an intervention order here in Australia. And I had no idea what my rights were. So um as I said, there wasn't, you know, apart from him like holding me back in an argument, physically holding me down in an argument, or occasionally he'd put his hands around my throat. But I didn't see the I didn't see that as being physical abuse. I just didn't see it. So I thought, right, okay, I can do this, but I was so scared, so scared of what was going to come next because I had had the audacity to take a stand against him to draw that line in the sand and legally hold him accountable for his behavior and the things that he was doing and that was a massive step for me to do that because up until that time he'd been like a maverick he'd been able to just get away with absolutely everything with the drugs with you know with breaking the law whatever he was doing he had this huge obsession with the mafia was involved with the mafia so I just had all these really real fears about what was going to happen next and he turned up on my doorstep and he said to me he pleaded with me to take him back and you know for the first time First of all, I thought that I was doing, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done by, you know, standing up to him? Um, and then I said to him, I said, look, you and I are never going to be in a relationship ever again. We've, you know, tried that time and time again and it just hasn't worked. But you can still be a father to your children. And when I said that to him, he said, no us, no kids. And I didn't know what he meant, but I thought what he meant was that he was just throwing a tantrum. I call it a dummy spit, you know, because he wasn't getting his way. And that's so much of the time, that's what a lot of his behaviour was like. It was like a, a small child throwing a tantrum because they're not able to get their way and they just keep kicking and screaming until they finally get what they want um 
But 10 days later, I came home from after I'd picked my children up off the school bus and I'd finished my day at work and I came home and I opened up my front door and the house, there was a smell and the, the kids said, Mum, what's that funny smell? And I smelt it and I said, oh, that's gas. My house was literally heaving with gas. And in a mad panic, I slammed the front door, told the kids to go back to the the fence, to the boundary of the property. And um, and it's just like the adrenaline just kicked in and I wasn't really thinking clearly. I opened up the front door and in that little house that we were living in, there was a a fluid heater which was... um, had a, a pilot light and the pilot light was exposed and it I turned that heater off in the morning before I went off to work and that flame was lit. So it was just a recipe for an explosion. I don't know what possessed me. I ran down the hall. I turned that flame off knowing that fire and gas, you know, equals an explosion. And I don't know how I'm here today. I seriously don't because the whole thing was just a recipe for an explosion. The gas, who knows how many hours it had been pouring out from underneath my stovetop in the kitchen. The gas pipe had been broken and um, and the house had just been left to to blow up. And um, and that was it. That was my my moment because it's so hard to leave these abusive people. It's not as if they, uh, you know, they're reasonable and you're going to be able to have that conversation with them and say, look, we just have to go our separate ways. You know, he was never going to accept that we had to go our separate ways. And although he was on this path of self-destruction with his um, drug habit, he wanted to have me come along for that ride with him and there was no way that he was going to just let me go or let our children go and I didn't know how to negotiate actually getting free from that but when that happened up until that point I kind of been standing my ground thinking look you're the one with the problem so you need to leave us alone. And that that was my rational mind talking. It's like, okay, I'm here giving our children, taking care of them, being responsible and making sure that they have normality in their lives. Now, you're not able to give that to them. So can you just leave us in peace and allow me to do that? Um, and that was n- never going to happen. So when he tried to blow the house up, I, that was that light bulb sort of going off for me. And I just knew that I had to put my safety first. I had to put the kids' safety first. And I couldn't, that had to be the top priority. And I'm just lucky that I had an opportunity to come to that conclusion and start negotiating what that was going to look like. And I tell you, it wasn't easy because I went into hiding five times before the police actually had enough evidence on more minor breaches to 
um, hold him and remand him up until the time of his trial. And so I had a three-week window. This is like after months because it always takes time, justice time to catch up with the perpetrators and that's a, a big part of the problem for victims and a big part of what keeps victims stuck in abusive relationships. So when he was remanded and held by um, the authorities, they assured me that I had three weeks guaranteed that I was he was going to be held and that was my opportunity to pack up my house and leave my old old life behind so that meant basically severing ties with my family severing ties with all of my friends so the the children were pulled out of school pulled out of their community and we moved I had to negotiate where are we going to live um, and it needed to be within the same state that we lived in because at that time restraining orders were not upheld um, outside of the state that you lived in. So that's since changed, which is a really fantastic reform that has happened. So now in Australia, no matter where you are, if you have a restraining order against an abusive partner, that will stand up in court no matter which state that you live in. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's where, why you're talking to Sandy Johnston today. If you would have talked to me 10 years ago, you would have actually literally been talking to another person. But all of that changed for me when my life was at risk of ending and the same for my children because after that first attempt, it wasn't the only attempt. He made two more attempts on our um, on our lives and, yeah, I'm very lucky to be sitting here today and, um, and I fought very, very hard from that point of moving six hours away, changing my name, changing my children's names, um, and living in hiding to negotiate creating some sort of safe distance between ourselves and this one person who was hell-bent on trying to um, to just bring us unraveled. So, um, yes, so life is good now. And uh, I'm one of the few lucky people to have got a um a permanent restraining order thank you sabria for for your comment um thank you so much i'm very happy to be sharing my story especially if it's going to help others to see and maybe have a look at what's happening in their relationship and perhaps look at say if you don't see danger signs there in your relationship that, you, that you're not seeing that there is a danger in those behaviors there's uh, start having a look at it and really do what it took me a, I had to have a big wake-up call massive wake-up call before I got to that place where I understood that I really needed to value my safety and I really needed to value the safety of my children. And until I had that realisation, I wasn't going to be able to make the right choices that I needed to be making to help keep myself and my children safe and to help keep 
us saying because that was another massive impact and that's what I love about having this opportunity to be on more than therapy today because your sanity is, is so affected when you're in those really toxic relationships and often you don't know where to start to look for help and that was certainly the case for me. I didn't know who I could talk to about it. I know now so much more and I've had to learn that the hard way. Um, but I know that there are many organisations out there who are specialist domestic violence support services. There are 24-hour free counselling support lines that should be there in your country, wherever you're listening to this. So um, please, if you are in that situation, when you're using your device, perhaps use a friend's device to do searches for those um, for those contacts to gain support or to have those conversations. If you feel as though your technology is being used to stalk you and keep tabs on you, then try and create a little bit of a distance with between yourself and those support contacts so that you can keep yourself more safe i'd say that's that's a really good strategy is to go to a friend or go to a family member and ask to use their phone to make those calls but you do deserve support and there is a lot of support out there to help you to negotiate a way out of that relationship, out of that situation. There's also lots of funding available these days too to help women to transition out given that financial abuse is um, certainly something that plays a huge part in keeping women trapped in abusive relationships. Women are often cut off, like when abusers, you know, trying to control them, they're often cut off from their family of support, their friends, their families, sometimes even professional supports. Sabria had a question regarding that. What is the best way to discern if a person is the right person to confide in? Because sometimes mm. people are like, they just tell you, get out, not knowing that there's things that might be keeping you in place, financial restraints, lack of support, the in many ways feeling because they've been so emotionally broken down that they can't do it by themselves. But what is the best way in your opinion to discern if a person is the right person to confide in? Yeah, that's a, a really, really good question to ask because you do have to be very strategic when it comes to keeping yourself safe. So my advice is really to go and talk to a specialist family violence or domestic violence support counselling service. Um, if you talk to other people as, um, as well-meaning as they might be because they, um, they want you to be away from that person, they might not necessarily give you the best advice and that advice that they give you may compromise your safety. There's a lot of things that need to be considered and, um, and it is very strategic when it comes to negotiating a way, 
a safe path out of a domestic violence situation. So either speaking to, um, if you don't know how to connect with a domestic violence support service, you could speak to your GP, speak to a doctor. Um, you could also speak to a counsellor. Um, you can speak to uh, the police as well because they will be able to direct you to the right services to get the support that you need to get out of that situation. You indicated, the, the you know, the path, the barriers to you getting out but, you know, when you zoom out, I mean, what are some of the red flags that people could know that, whoa, this is not going in the right direction? I told you before the broadcast about a therapist friend of mine who her fiance doesn't allow her to no longer speak with me. And we had truly a professional um, relationship. You know, we might have been we might have did a podcast in the past or I might have started working for a company where she worked at and I needed some advice regarding how to get into that space or how to you know, be successful in that space. And she would always say, oh, I need to confer with my fiance or, oh, I can't talk to you. Um, don't contact me like that because my fiance gets jealous. And I said, you know, so I, I came up with an action plan. I was like, well, just three-way conferences. Whatever we're talking about, I don't have nothing to hide. You don't have nothing to hide. Put us on three-way together. Oh, I talked to him about it. He said, no, that wasn't going to work either. And there was just so many parameters that was closing her in. And as a therapist who dealt with this type of stuff on her caseload before, because we work in addictions, and this is a prominent theme in addictions, you would think she would have seen her own signs. But I say again, what are the red flags? Okay, so that the control, it's... So I want I like going a little bit deeper than control because for me it's it's more about security and insecurity, and if you're looking at, at um, why does a person feel a need to control you, it's because that person has their own insecurities, and so that's playing out in the relationship that they're having with you. But let's, let's just talk about those red flags. You know, a big red flag, as I said, was jealousy. So, um, and if your friend is not able to freely have engaging conversations with you because her part of her partner's insecurities and she's now sort of walking on eggshells. So that's that's a whole other red flag. And it's a really big flag that um that people need to be mindful of. If you feel as though you have to walk around on eggshells in your relationship, if you can't relax in your relationship and just be yourself and have relationships as in friendships and um, professional relationships with people, you know, in a normal fashion without your partner feeling insecure about it and trying to restrict you. If you're being restricted in any way, that's a red flag. You should have autonomy and freedom over what you do in your life. Now, obviously, in relationships, you have to negotiate what your relationship looks like. But it's about, you know, having a mutual understanding of what that is. So 
if you are mutually respecting each other and your ability to make choices and the freedom to go about your life. Now, why is that person not trusting of you to be able to have those kinds of free-flowing relationships, whether it be a friendship or whether it be a work relationship? Could that perhaps be because that person is not trustworthy themselves? So that was certainly the case for me. And I know it's the case for many women in these abusive relationships where they're with a very jealous partner and their jealous partner is very accusatory towards them, telling them that, you know, oh, you know, like they think that the you're doing the dirty behind their back and all this rubbish that that the reason why they're doing that is because they themselves are doing that. So um, there are a couple of the red flags to look for. There's there's also, you know, something that um, doesn't get talked about so much, I suppose, is, you know, it is cyclic. And one of the reasons why um, women often don't identify with their relationship as being abusive necessarily is because um, it's not always abusive. It, you know, there's good times and there's bad times and the cycle kind of goes that um, so there's a build-up before something happens and that person snaps and the abusive behaviour is perpetrated. Then after that abusive behaviour is perpetrated, there's a whole lot of love bombing that goes on where there's a lot of apologies that are made and promises that are made that this is it, that it will never happen again and you're the best thing that's ever happened to them and, um, you know, let's make this work and, and you get reeled back in again and then the cycle continues. The other thing that's really um, one of the reasons why women do tend to get caught is because it's so subtle. It's not like when we talk about red flags, they're not actually red. They're, they're sort of like pink tinged with a tiny bit of red do you know that they're, they're mostly sort of covered in love and so you just don't recognize them as being those red flags that you really need to be cautious about of course that person's doing a great job of trying to convince you that they love you and when they tell you that they love you you automatically think that they should have your best interests at heart and if they love you that means that they respect you if you're being treated disrespectfully in your relationship then that is certainly a red flag indeed indeed well thank you miss sandy johnson for sharing your story today regarding when abusers you know breaking free from abusers who are drug users and teaching us and reminding us and reviewing with us regarding what to avoid and how to get out of these situations. And, you know, offer the support. Of course, the support you have in Australia is going to be different than what we have in America. Here in America, we have, well, I know a resource that I often use is United Way. And you simply can dial 211 
on any on your cell phone or your house phone. I mean, who even has house phones anymore, right? <laughs> um, and you, can get, you can get the resources you need in order to, you know, address whatever your need is at the time. That's just simply dialing 211, much like you dial 411 here for information, or you dial 911 for emergency or 611 for repairs. Um, and that's 211 United Way. And um, it's a great resource, you know. And I'm sure there's other resources, none that come to mind right now because that's the most readily available and easy to remember resource. That's fantastic. Indeed. That's I'll have to I'll have to make sure that I include that too in my um, episode notes. It's always great to have conversations and find out more and more about what supports are out there, and yeah, and like I, I said with my messaging is that with the right support at the right time, everything can be figure outable because sometimes we feel so uh, so overwhelmed by the gravity of the situation that we're in and we can't fathom how we're ever, ever going to be standing up on our own two feet again. But it is possible, especially when you have the courage to accept support. And one of the things I just I tell people is that successful people, the reason that they're successful is they don't try and do everything on their own. <laughs> you know, they, they, they surround themselves with the right support. And um, that's a really good reason for us to not, you know, weigh ourselves down thinking that we're supposed to have all the answers to everything but to understand that, you know, we can rise back up in our lives and triumph again when we tap into the right sorts of supports to help us through whatever challenges we're facing. Indeed, indeed. Thank you. You've been a remarkable resource and thank you for sharing your very painful story, but your story of recovery. A lot of people think that, you know, they're in these situations by themselves or they can't see a way out or they don't know a way out. And um, I just thank you for sharing your story. For those that are experiencing any semblance of domestic violence and need support or need a way out, dial 800 here in America, 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. And then always remember that you can also dial 211 on um, any landline, any cell phone. And that's um, United Way in which you get resources for any, any type of issue. They have a remarkable, amazing database. And that's 211. Welcome to it. And that's another episode of the Modern Therapy Podcast with Sandy Johnson. But before we leave, Sandy, would you like to give the listening and watching audience some words of advice or some final words? So I think just to part with, I would just like to say that the reason that my podcast is called Tiara's Tears and Triumphs is three reasons. So one, the Tiara's, it is just a reminder that it is so important to value yourself. We might seek that from other people. We might seek to be validated by others 
But at the end of the day, we really need to nurture that relationship that we have with ourselves. We need to learn to like ourselves, love ourselves, embrace ourselves and, you know, free ourselves from um, from those expectations of having that be met by another person because that makes us a much stronger person when we go into another relationship because we don't need that validation from somebody else to tell us how lovable we are and how valuable we are. Um, of course, tears is to say, yes, we are emotional beings and don't suppress your feelings but find safe ways to get in touch with your feelings and to work through them. And that's one thing I will encourage anybody to do is to seek some counselling support if you are struggling because your mental health is also very valuable and your peace of mind is absolutely priceless. Don't underestimate the value of peace of mind. It will help you in every single area of your life to be able to triumph really over any adversity that you're facing I wish you all the very best and you can always go to um Sandy's website what's your website give it to him again so it's www.sandyj.com.au it's about empowering women to recover, renew, and rebuild. Sandy Johnson is a, oh, I spelled your name wrong, an empowerment consultant, panic healer, podcaster, speaker, author, and singer. Before you go, would you like to bless us with a song? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I was loving your um, intro too, by the way. Um, okay. I feel peace like a river, I feel peace like a river, I feel peace like a river in my soul. How's that? I love it. I love it. I love it. Is there a second verse? <laughs> <laughs> I feel joy like a mountain. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, thank you for appearing on an episode of More Than Therapy Podcast. Thank you for the listening and watching the audience. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the More Than Therapy Podcast. Anywhere which you push play to listen to your favorite podcast. Be well and be great. Until the next time. That's the Modern Therapy Podcast.